Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What an amazing opportunity that we get today to come to church and to open up the Word of God and see what He would have for us today. I'm so excited because every time we come to church, we know that God's Word is going to speak to us. Today we're going to talk a lot about marriage. We're going to talk a lot about what it means to be married, what it means to um, not only be married, but also singleness, what it means to be single, as well as what it means and what God says about sex. These are topics and these are areas in our lives as Christians that we must study. Because the world talks a lot about sex. The world talks a lot about marriage and divorce and singleness and how you ought to live your life. But what does the Bible have to say about it? Because that's what really matters, what the Word of God says about these topics. Your pastor was going into now the fourth grade class of the Sunday school. And he went in the fourth grade class of the Sunday school wanting to test them to see how much they knew about marriage. And he goes in there and he huddles the kids in the fourth grade classroom. And he says, you know what, I want to see how much you guys know about marriage. What does God have to say about marriage? He wanted to test the result, to test their knowledge. What does God have to say about marriage in the fourth grade class? And boom, immediately a little boy raises his hand. I know, I know what God has to say about marriage. And why don't you tell us then, what does God have to say about marriage? He says, Father, forgive them for they not know what they do. <laughs> and isn't this so funny? As maybe he got that verse out of context, but it's so real, it's so true. Sometimes we do not know what we're doing. Sometimes when it comes to marriage, we don't know what we're doing. And we need the Lord to come in, to step in, and to forgive us. You see, marriage and love and affection and intimacy all have to do with the love of God. With the love of God. And today I want to tell you that love is more than an emotion. It's more than an affection. It's more than just a feeling. Love is a choice. That means that you're making a conscious decision to love someone. That means that maybe it's hard for you to love a certain person, right? Maybe it's hard for you to love a, uh, maybe your husband or wife at times because of their errors, because of their deficiencies, because they fall as well. But love is a choice. And whether you like a person or not, whether they look like you or they don't, whether they match the style of what you have or whatever it is, you have the choice now. You can make the decision to love. Love is not more than just an action, more than just a verb, but it is a choice. And when we talk about that, we talk about intimacy and sex, and we talked about it last week, that it permanently affects your body, it permanently affects your soul, and it permanently affects your spirit. It has permanent effects, intimacy. But God created it, sexual intimacy, to be a beautiful thing. It is an amazing, beautiful thing that God wants you to enjoy of in your marriage. And this world and Satan has now grabbed and grabbed something that God has created and turned it into something that God never intended it to be a part of. We learned even in the last chapter and last week that we are not to give something sacred as our soul and our body and our spirit to an authorized person. You are not to give your body, your soul and your spirit to an authorized person. Glorify God with your body. With what you see, with what you hear, with what you speak about. Where your feet take you, what your hands do. Glorify God with your body. 
It's been said before, if you plug into your heart a chord, what, what kind of music will come out on the other side, on the amplifier? What is the music to your soul? What do you allow come into your life? You see, marriage and the family is so important because God loves the family. God loves the family. God loves marriage. God is a procreative God. He's a pro-life God. Where He instituted sexual intimacy between a man and a woman so that they can become fruitful and procreate because we know that God loves life. And God is serious about life. God is serious about a husband and a wife. You see, in our culture today, we throw out those terms like they don't even matter anymore. We, we, we now indulge ourselves and we're saturated in a sexual culture now filled uh, life and world with sin now. And here he's going to talk about, is it good to be now married or is it good to be single? What does it mean? And if you are, you know, because the church in Corinth, if they were... Does it mean that I have to be celibate now if I'm, if I'm married? Does it mean that, that I'm more spiritual if I'm single or if I'm married? What, 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 are, what are the answers to these questions? Today you ask yourself, what, what God's will for my life? What is God's will for my marriage? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's going to do a Q&A with them. Because they wrote to him, they wrote to Paul a letter. And here now, he's going to answer the questions in the letter that they wrote to him. If they had the questions in a sexual sin saturated culture, we, I for sure, have the questions as well. But guess what? You can come to God's word and get the answers. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things, the things of which you wrote to me. Think about that. Remember the things that you wrote to me? Remember the things that you asked me? You asked me certain things. I'm going to write back and answer these questions. It is good for a man to not touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let, each, let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Do not deprive one another here except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You, God, today. We thank You because of Your Word. And we ask, Lord, that whether we are single today, maybe we are married, maybe we were married, God, Whatever the situation would be, we ask so that we would see here in your word, what do you have to say about marriage? What do you have to say about things like intimacy, Lord? What do you have to say to us or maybe those that are single today, God? What is your will for our lives in these areas? We ask that you would open up our, Lord, eyes, our ears, our hearts receive. It is in Jesus' name we pray this. Together we said, Amen. You see, in verse 1, he says, Now concerning the things, concerning the things that you wrote to me, concerning those things of which you asked me. 
When they ask, you know what, since I'm married, is it, is it okay or should I or should I not, uh, you know, uh, now participate or be involved sexually intimate with my spouse? Because we know now, uh, you know, that sexual sin is bad. Does it mean that I can't, you know, participate that when I'm married? No, look what he answers now in verse 1. Concerning those things that you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And now when he says touch, it doesn't mean that you can't go up to your brother or sister and shake their hand or anything like that. It doesn't not mean that. That's not what it means. It's saying it is good for a man or a woman to abstain from sexual sin or sexual relations with a woman who is not his wife. You see, this is so important for us to know. Because in the culture and the day that we live in, it is okay now for two people that are not married to be sexually involved. And the Bible tells us clearly that is not God's plan and that is a sin. We cannot be living together if we're not married. We're not, we cannot be sexually involved together between if we're not married, right? It is within the confounds of what God's word that we are able to enjoy this blessing that He has given to us. You hear a lot about even Christians. People that come to church every week. They're sexually active. They're not married. Or they're living together. And they're hearing the messages week after week, yet they go back and they decide, you know what, we're going to live in sin. No, God's not called you to live that way. He's not called you to compromise your calling and your purity for the sake of pleasure. And, and, and many times we come to church, we hear the message, but we'll go back out and live our lives the way we want to because, hey, you know what, I want to live in pleasure, I want to have sexual relations with my girlfriend, I'm going to ask them to move in. And, and we start to do these things that don't honor God. Or what about this, a Christian dating a non-Christian? Or a Christian man or woman dating or in a relationship with someone that's married? And you guys think that maybe this sounds just a little crazy or a little bit, uh, you know, on the edge. But these things happen. These things happen. And in verse 1, he's going to tell, he's going to set the pace. He says, you know what, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, not to have sexual relationships. And look what it says here in verse 1 as, as well. But it is good for a man not to touch a woman, verse 2, nevertheless. Nevertheless, when you talk about sexual intimacy now, because of sexual immorality or because of sexual sin, and all the temptation that's taking place out in the world because of all of this, let each man, look at this, I love this because he's going to give us the model and the definition to what marriage is, according to Scripture, let each man, here man, here, have here his own wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Right there, he already defines the model of marriage. What is the model to marriage? Number one, between his own. That means it's one person with another person. And not just any person, it's one man and one woman. This is what marriage is right here. Nevertheless, because of sexual sin, let each here man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. What does this tell us here? That he's encouraging, hey, because of this, because of sexual morality, because of sexual sin, participate and have all of that within the confounds of marriage between one man and one woman. I said, have your own wife. Just have your own one. Don't go around and, and sleeping around and falling in sexual sin. It is good for a woman to have her husband and it's good for a man to have his wife. You notice what Solomon said. It was Solomon, a man that had a thousand women in his life. He said, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You know, he said he who finds a wife. He didn't say he who finds a good wife. He said he who finds a wife. You already found a good thing right there. 
because you found a wife. God's already provided a wife for you. And you found a good thing and you've obtained favor from God. Socrates, the philosopher in this Corinth, Greek culture, he once said, by all means marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. And if you, be, you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. <laughs> because you have a lot of questions about life. But it says here now in verse 3, let the husband now, now that we've defined these roles in this model now, that God has ordained for us, let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. And this verse is so important here. When it's talking between a husband and a wife, and it say, abstain from sexual immorality. And because of it, if you need to get married, get married, right? But now let the husband render to his wife affection that is due to her, and likewise the wife to the husband. You know what he means here now? He's saying, I want you to both, between the husband and the wife, to meet each other's sexual needs amongst just one another. Because when you say, I do, when you made that commitment before the Lord, you also made the commitment, you have the responsibility to fulfill one another's completeness, both body, soul, and spirit, and fulfill that for one another. But it says here now, let the husband give affection to his wife. You know, for us, man, sometimes affection sounds and looks, and, and we think about affection different than the way our wives would think about affection, Right? And it's interesting now because affection, that word affection is healthy. And in fact, affection is a way of communication in your marriage. And if you're not showing affection, you are not communicating properly with your wife. Or you're not communicating properly with now your husband. You know, affection, what it does, and I want you to write this down, it cultivates unity and oneness. And if we read this scripture, it is wrong to withhold affection from your wife or withhold affection from your husband. It is wrong. God has not called you to do that. In fact, He's called you to exercise affection. He's called you to show care, to show concern, to show that you love, that you want to communicate your affections to your spouse. It's interesting here because when we talk about communication, which is the foundation of every great relationship, we have to ask ourselves, do we know how our spouse or how the people around us, how they receive affection? Do we know what it is that they, they, in their mind, how they receive the love and they care for us? You know, God loves affection in the marriage. Because He loves the children in the marriage. Because He loves a fruitful family in the marriage. But do you know today how to show affection to your husband or to your wife? Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to show affection to the people around you? Do you know how to communicate that you love them? I think the, the, wrongest re, the, 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 the most wrong thing to do is to not really study or not ask God, Lord, show me how to communicate affection to my spouse. And because of this... There are a lot of unhealthy marriages out there because we don't know how to communicate affection to our spouse. And sometimes we say, well, I love them very much. I, I don't understand why they don't get it. I don't understand why they don't know. I, I've been telling them that I love them with the things that I do. But maybe that's not the way that they receive affection. Maybe they don't receive affection that way. You know, for men, for all of us, uh, men, we're really physical. We want to receive affection, you know, right away. You know, with a, a physical thing. Women are a little bit different. They want maybe the time, the care, the words, right? 
They want us to be able to just kind of really simmer in and, and, and you know, you have to work all day long spending time with your wife and telling her the nicest things if you want to get some physical affection from your wife at the end of the day, right? Because you know that for her, she receives affection as women differently. For women, it's kind of like a crock pot. You have to just let it sit right there and then it just cook. Men, they're like microwaves, you know, boom, 30 seconds, ready to go, right? Let's show some love now. And that's kind of how we are. But here is going to talk about showing affection. You see, there are five commonly known love languages that maybe you've heard about before on how you can show affection. And I'm going to share those with you today because I want you to not only to know how to love, but also that you would know how to be loved. It's so important. I think that if you are loving your wife and you are being loved by her, that is the recipe to good marriage. That is a recipe to healthy marriage and communication. To know that you are being loved, but also you are loving to love and to be loved. You see, there are five of these five love languages that we have to understand. The first one is words of affirmation. This one, the ones that men love. Men just love the words of affirmation. You know, for the women here, if you go home and you tell your husband, oh, I just love the way that he, maybe even, you know, you, you do that, you know, certain chore around the house, or you know what, you look really good on that shirt that you're wearing today. Or you tell him, you know, every time you make that meal for us, it's so good. Or you brag about your husband, or you say, you know what, thank you so much for all your hard work. You know how it makes a, a man feel, man, it makes that guy mad. He wants to do it again. And thank you so much for your hard work. You work so hard and we appreciate you right here. And I want to know that I love you and whatever you, you know, you want me to support you and I will. Man, a man for that, for the men right there, we know for sure that for us the encouragement, the affirmation, the words go a long way as well. But not only that, the physical touch, that's a second love language, a physical touch. What does it mean? It is nonverbal, right? That's affection as well. When you use body language to touch, to emphasize, maybe a hug, maybe a holding of hands, whatever it would be to show that your presence. That's also a way of communication. That's the second love language. First, you see that the first one is the words of affirmation. And the second one is the physical touch, maybe that you want to come and, and touch and, and show that affection, that love that you're present. But what about the third one? This is where, you know, the gals really come in. The third one, the receiving gifts, right? Oh my goodness, he thought about me on the way home, right? And the receiving gifts is a way of showing your thoughtfulness. Oh man, he's thinking about me right now. Oh, you know what? He's, you know, or even the, for, for the gentlemen, you know, they're thinking about me. And you start to receive gifts. That's also a way. And the fourth way, quality time. That's also a way of showing affection. Quality time. If you show, you spend time, I've noticed even myself, I spend time with my wife and just spent just talk and conversation and spent, man, she's just simmering all the love and, and after the conversation, we'll be quiet and I'll try to start doing something else. Wait, we're talking. Oh, we haven't been talking for three minutes. What are you talking about? But she's just appreciating the time. He's just taking it and just soaking in the love because of communication. That's quality time. And then what about acts of service? Well, you come and you tell your spouse, you know what, let me help you. Man, for a spouse, sometimes that means so much. Or when you say, you know what, let me uh, be here a partner with you. Let's team up. Let's do it together. I'm in here with you. We're doing it together. Think about how much love is communicated in that and with that. But in verse 4, he tells us now, the wife does not have authority over her own body. And the men here are saying, man, I love this church and I love this scripture. The wife does not have authority over her own body. 
But the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And what is this telling us here? That, that we have an obligation to one another. We have an obligation to love one another. We have a duty to love one another. And, and as it would go from verse 3 to verse 4, to render to the wife affection, and the wife to give affection to her husband, you know what it's saying here? You know why you do now, or you have a due to your wife or husband? It's your obligation. Because it's your responsibility. Because she is the wife of a Christian man. And if she is the wife of a Christian man, then she deserves to be loved. And if he is the husband of a Christian woman, then he deserves to be loved because you're a Christian woman. He deserves that you render to him the affection that is needed. But then it goes in verse 4, it talks about your obligation, even with your body. See, our bodies are made to build. Our bodies were never made to, to, to bite. And we have to be sensitive to one another. Sensitive to one another's needs. You see, nobody wants to uh, be intimate or, or participate sexually with their spouse when the spouse and the husband maybe particularly is a jerk. You're not going to want it. Get away from me. I don't want you to touch me, right? And, but also, nobody wants to say nice things to a woman if they're always complaining now to the husband. Like, man... You're breathing too loud. <laughs> oh, why'd you step? You know, why are you walking with the right foot instead of the leg about every little thing? You know, and, and nobody wants to say nice things. That's why we have to make sure that we are communicating love effectively. Make sure that you're communicating love effectively. Make sure that you understand, man, my husband, my wife, I owe to them to meet their now physical need. Not only with my words, with my body, with my soul, with my spirit, right? And it is my duty to now give that person, my, my spouse, and have a mutual responsibility. Because as I do this, you know what I'm doing? I'm protecting my marriage. You want to protect your marriage? Then love your spouse. Love your spouse with words. Love your spouse physically. Love your spouse giving them affection. And that you would thrive in this area so that you can promote unity in your marriage. Because there is so much power in unity and that you can protect your marriage as well. This is important here. And sometimes, you know, for, for women or for men, they would say, you know what, I just, I don't feel like it right now. I have a headache and I don't want, you know, every night you have a headache, what's going on here? You know, but with holding affection because of a headache has been said before, you'll end up with a heartache. You'll end up with a heartache. Because you're not protecting your marriage, you're not cultivating, you're not now demonstrating affection, you're not communicating love in the safe environment, in the safe place that God has given to us through His Word and how He has blessed us. Verse 5, it says here, do not deprive one another. And what is it talking about when it says deprive one another? It's saying, yeah, do not deprive one another with, with affection. Do not deprive one another with sexually intimate. And it says here, except... The only time you should do this is with consent for a time. It's only for a small season you should do this. Where you would, that you should deprive now. You should set apart time, it says here, for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and to prayer. And then come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is a very important verse. And I think we have to study this verse. 
The only time where you should deprive, the only time that where you should stop and you should really take some time aside from not participating, uh, you know, sexually intimate with your spouse, it's only the time where you both consensually agree that this is going to be given over to fasting and to prayer. Is that going to be just one person? It's, it's a mutual agreement. And the word deprive says, don't cheat the other person. Don't steal from them something. Do not defraud from them something that belongs to them because you belong to each other and you belong to one another. And unless you're fasting and praying, then you should not, be, you should not deprive one another. You see, this is important here because it says for a certain amount of time in verse 5. Only for a time. Only for a time. What, time, what are you going to do during that time? It says that as you consent together for that time, you both agree, you're going to do it so that you can pray and you can fast. You see, so you can completely give focus over to God. And praying and fasting is important in every relationship. Praying and fasting is important whether you're married or you're single or no matter what. Because in prayer and in fasting, you start to see the Lord work. Whether you're single, you start to see the Lord work. Whether you're married, you'll work in your marriage in prayer and in fasting. A lot of times we want the Lord to do a mighty work in our marriage. And we'll want to go and, and, and read the best books, which are good. They're going to give us some good counsel. See the best counselor, which is amazing. We should do that. That is a healthy thing to do. However, there is nothing that we are going to hear outside of God's Word, or that a person's going to tell us that is so brilliant, that's going to fix our marriage. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And we have to know that. Sometimes we wonder, you know, well, I'm going to see X and so Y person, they're so recognized, and I'm going to see, well, these, these things are good, because they have experience in really giving sound biblical guidance and counsel, but the only thing that can fix your marriage is the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we have marital problems, and we try doing everything but prayer and fasting. You want the Lord to work in your situation, then ask the Lord, give me a heart to pray and to fast. Because the best counselor is the Holy Spirit. That is the best counselor, the Holy Spirit. And then most of the answers to your marital problems, you've already heard them in the Word of God, sitting in church through the messages every single Sunday. And we hear the answers to the problems of our marital issues that are taking place. We hear them every single week. And then we have a problem. We expect to hear something different. You're not going to hear something different. You're going to hear the same thing because it's the Word of God. What we need is prayer and fasting. Because through the Word of God, as you fast and you pray, guess what it does? It makes you stop and say, Lord, work. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to be emotional in my marriage. I don't want to be reckless in my marriage through actions. Sometimes we become reckless in our actions and we get upset with our spouse and then we start to act emotional and reckless and we do things that, that really don't matter. And we'll have to pay for the consequences. And sometimes paying for the consequences are really expensive. They're really expensive. That's why when we know that we're having some issues, we have to say, Lord, I want to pray and fast because the Holy Spirit is the best counselor and that's what's going to get the job done. And then it says here in verse 5, but then come again together. Fast for a little while, and then come again together. You know, how long can you really fast? How long can you go out without eating? Man, we can't go that long without eating. And if we can't go that long without eating, it, it, it should tell you a timeline, how much uh, you, know, you should be, belong and be together as husband and wife. Because it says here, after you fast and pray, come together again, come together again as husband and wife, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What lack of self-control? Self, lack of self-control outside of the marriage. You think about it where we're not meeting each other's 
intimate needs, right? What's going to happen? What does Satan want to do? Satan's going to come in and start to tempt the man or the woman because guess what? Their sexual needs are not being met within the marriage and the holiness and the purity of what God has called. Do not set yourself up for failure when you separate from your wife or you separate from your husband. Because you know what the, the Satan will do? He will come in and start to test your lack of self-control. You know when we do that, what are we actually doing? We're giving room for the enemy to come and move in. And you never want to give the enemy room to come in. Because if you don't tell your wife, you don't show her affection and you don't love her. And, and, and you know you guys are not sexually intimate. Guess what's going to happen? Somebody's going to come in a picture and start to show attention to your wife. You know, I, I, uh, you know, my pastor one time told me, listen, Art, if you don't love your wife, if you don't give time to your wife, if you don't take care of your wife, then somebody else will. Because the enemy will come in. And somebody will come in the picture, that's what, you're not showing affection to your wife, you're not communicating, you're not, you're not being sexually intimate. The enemy will bring someone, whether it's at work, in a group of friends, and, and somebody will start just saying really nice things. And guess what now? Her heart's open now. Or his heart is open now. Or he gets started to get tempted now. Right? And he can't handle it. Or she can't handle it. You know what Satan wants to do? Satan wants to encourage sex outside of marriage. He wants to encourage sex outside of marriage. And Satan also wants to discourage sex inside of marriage. And to him, both of those things are equally victory in his mind. If he can get people to have sex outside of marriage, he won. And he can get the married couple to not have sex within marriage. He's already won as well. You think about how the enemy is going to come in and test your mind, body, soul, and spirit. And now it says here now in verse 6. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Now the following, he's going to say a concession. What is a concession? It's not just an opinion, but it's a joint recommendation. I'm going to say this now as a joint recommendation to the people that are single now, he's saying. So if you're listening to this, say, you know what, I, 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 this doesn't pertain to me, right? Well, now it does. Because in verse 6 it says, Now I'm telling you this as a joint recommendation, when he met with the eldership now, and he's writing to them, and he said, you know what, let's tell them this now. Also to those that are single. And I say this as a joint concession, not as a commandment. For I wish... Him and other elders now is giving this recommendation that all men, and he's including women here of course, were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and the other in that. What is he saying? I wish that they were all like me. Well, Paul was single, we know that scripturally. And as he was single, he was not married. He says, I wish that they were like me, but God has given them a gift. Maybe to some people, God has given them the gift of singleness. And, and you know what, they just do not have in mind, they don't have that thought of getting married or, or being with anybody. Sometimes when I first heard this verse, I was like, oh no, what if I have the gift of being single before I was married? And I don't know about it, guys, don't give me that gift. Well, I'll tell you this, if you, if, if you want to get married, then you don't have that gift, period. <laughs> so be relieved today, you do not have that gift. But for some people, they naturally, they just do not, they don't have that type of urge or, or desire to be married. God has given them that gift. And they're single and they maximize their singleness for God. I love that. I want you to know that if you're single here today. There's nothing wrong with being single. And maybe you're just waiting for the Lord to bring that right person 
for the women, the ladies, that right man that would lead you to the Lord, and, and, and for the men, for that woman that would support the calling that you have in your life. I think that the church, and, 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 and sometimes in, when you come to the Lord, you think that the, you've arrived, or the finish line, or the aspiration, or the goal, when you're single is that I need to be married. And that's the thought that you grew up in your mind. I remember growing up with that mind, man, I'm not really going to be ever complete, and ever fully capable of serving God until I get married. But that's false. That is absolutely false. God is honored through your singleness. You know how much you can do when you're single now? That you don't have the certain obligations and responsibilities that you do when you're married. It's an amazing thing to be single for the people that are single, I'll tell you. Because you can serve and there is so much power in your singleness. You can freely, with full force, serve God. And your singleness, I'll tell you this, is just as much of a tool as your marriage is. And sometimes we don't think, you know what, I, I, I think that I'm not as strong as a tool as if I were with two people and we were married, right? No, but your singleness is a tool. And there's an incredible blessing in being single. You can maximize every effort. You can maximize every energy to serve God. And you can really give Him your time, your desire. You, can, you don't have to respond to anyone. You know, at any given time, you can just take off and serve the Lord. And it's an amazing thing. I don't think there's nothing wrong with it. And I think today in the church, we have to know that more. That if God's called you for a certain season to be single, then praise God for that because you get to serve Him at any capacity. Nothing interrupts that capacity. You get to serve Him at any capacity. However, He says here in verse 7, that God has given everyone each their own gift, whether it's to be single or to be married. But if you are single, I'll tell you this, don't go looking for love or attention out in the world if you're single. Don't go looking for that attention elsewhere. We think about Adam in Genesis chapter 2. When, when Eve was brought over to Adam, what was Adam doing? Adam was number one in the garden. He was in the presence of God, right? He was resting. He was asleep in the presence of God. He was resting in the presence of God when the Lord brought him Eve. He wasn't out there looking and saying, God, what, what's up with this? Every animal has to remain except me. No, he was resting in the presence of God and the Lord. While he was resting in his presence, the Lord said, now you're resting in my presence. You're just enjoying my presence. You are just resting in my presence. Now the Lord said, here, here's Eve. Here's your helper. Because you're not going to find God's best for your life in the world. You have to wait for God's best of what he has. And don't settle for it. Don't settle for it. And here he's telling them, hey, some people are gifted with marriage. Other people are gifted with singleness. But bottom line, no one is gifted with sexual immorality. No one is gifted with sexual sin. No one is gifted with sexual sin. And even as we're praying and waiting, what does 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 tell us? Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. No communion. You have no business being with somebody that doesn't honor God. You, you do not accept that. Somebody that doesn't have a heart for the Lord, someone that, you know what, well, I believe in God, I just don't believe in the God that you believe in, then you know what, you have no business with that person. Because you're not going to grow together, Christ is not going to be the center of your relationship. And then you're going to suffer heartache and headaches once you eventually get married. And it says here now, verse 8 now, But I say this to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. It is good. There's nothing wrong with it. And God has called you to remarry, maybe after if you're a widow or, or single, then praise the Lord. You know, but don't, have, don't be in a rush to do that if the Lord has not called you to that season just yet. But if they cannot exercise, verse 9, if they cannot exercise here, this is important here, 
If as a single person or if you're in a relationship, if you cannot exercise self-control, what does it tell us here? Self-control of what? If you cannot exercise sexual self-control. If you say, man, I'm always entering into temptation, I'm struggling with this area. If you can't exercise, you find yourself always battling in this area, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. He said, you then just might as well get married then. If you're in a relationship with your girlfriend, you guys both honor the Lord right now in a relationship. You guys both love the Lord. You always find yourself going into, just entering these, these seasons, these moments of temptation. Then, then pray about really getting married if you can't handle it. However, this should not be the only or primary reason to get married. It should not be. However, these are things and areas to consider. That we must consider that it's better to marry... And to burn with passion. You know what goes with that also? It's to never put yourself in an environment where you will enter into temptation. I think that's what we do sometimes. There are times in our lives where you put yourself alone in a, in a scenario where you're going to enter into temptation. Don't put yourself in that situation where you're going to enter into temptation. Do not place yourself in that place because you're going to have to pay the consequences of sin. And it's not going to be a place where you want to be. You see, he's telling them now, you're either going to be single and celibate, you're going to be single and, and, and pure of sexual sin, or you're going to be married. You can't be anything in between. You can't say, well, you know what, we're going to get married, so might as well, right? Well, we were thinking about it, so might as well. No, you have to make sure that you remain pure. Not only up until the point you get married, but even after. Stay pure for your spouse, for your husband, and for your wife. You know how many marriages are destroyed because of pornography, because of lust, because of lying, because of cheating, because of sexual sin. So many marriages are, are destroyed. Families are destroyed because of that. And if you're a Christian woman, then love your husband as a Christian woman. And if you're a Christian man, then make sure that she has the affection due that she needs to receive because she is the wife of a Christian man. Let's go to verse 9 now. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, because it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And then it goes here in verse 10, Now to the married, I command you, not I, but the Lord. Now this is not my concession, this is not my joint recommendation. He's going to talk about marriage now and divorce. Because here in this culture, they thought it was easy to divorce your wife. You can divorce your wife for whatever reason. In fact, if, if your wife says something embarrassing about you in public, man, you would be legally, they would just divorce your wife. If she messed up your food, they would divorce now. Now, their spouse now, and this was not good. You can't just be divorcing people. Divorce should not be acceptable within the church. You know, a Gallup survey recently shows that national divorce now, today, national divorce, you'll be surprised to hear this, because I was so surprised. National divorce has fallen to the lowest decades, point in decades, in like a few recent decades. What does that mean? That less and less people are getting divorced. However, 73% of U.S. adults, now 73% of U.S. adults, say it's more morally acceptable to divorce now. Oh, it's okay. 73% of U.S. adults say, it's okay, just get a divorce. 73% of people say if she's not going to make you happy, then you have to be with someone that makes you happy. And that's the advice the world is giving. Oh, be with someone that's going to love you. Be with someone that's going to understand you. Just get a divorce that's morally acceptable when in times past, it has not been morally acceptable. And even then, divorce has gone down. You know why divorce has gone down? I'll tell you, it's a sad reason why divorce has gone down. Divorce has gone down in the last decades because young people now are choosing not to get married. They're saying, you know what, let's just move in. 
Let's just, you know, we're already having sex. We already have kids together. We don't have to get married. Therefore, no, less and less people are getting married today. That's why I think it's so awesome when two Christian people that are young, that are serving the Lord, that have a passion for God, decide to get married in public. Where they don't get married, they're on their own, and then they go out and they get married. And I, I do think there's something beautiful because they're making a statement to the non-believing family that we still believe in marriage. That there's something still amazing about marriage. Less and less people are getting married. You know, and, and marriage is so important because it affects our morals. It affects our family values. Think about the family values that there were, uh, you know, before in years past. I talked to, you know, just uh, even my parents and elders around me. And they tell me about the morals that before they grew up with when it comes with marriage and, and, and husband and wife. And, and, and I feel that those morals are being diluted. In Malachi chapter 2 verse 16, you see that the Lord spoke through Malachi. And look what the Lord says, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence. God looks at divorce as a violent thing, as a very hostile thing that breeds hostility and bitterness. And in some, in some cases, it would breed even murder in your heart against that person. God looks at divorce and He hates it. He hates everything about it. And sometimes we would say, you know what, well, God within the confounds of the Bible says that, man, if there's a little area right there, that verse, I got one verse that says that I am now legitimately able to divorce my spouse within a biblical-based worldview. Let me tell you, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 through 9, what God said about this, Jesus said this now to people. He said, the Pharisees came testing Him and saying to him, Is it lawful now for a man to divorce his wife just for any reason? He answered them and said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and made them female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but they're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And they said to him, Look at what they, they start to argue and have a conversation with Jesus now. And they said to him, why then did Moses in the Old Testament, if that's the case, command that a husband would give his wife a certificate of divorce before he moved on to the next woman? Why did he command them and to, before he put her away? And he said that Moses, he said, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, the only reason why it was allowed, it was because your heart was so hard that you were unwilling to forgive and let the Lord work in your marriage. Moses said, allow this, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wife. Moses did. But from the beginning, it was not so. It was not so. Isn't this, this is amazing here? From the beginning, that was never God's intentions. But because of the hardness of a heart, Moses said, you know what, your heart is so hard, then just give her a certificate of divorce, make it official, and then move on then. But from the beginning of, of the time, it was not so. And sometimes we see, you know what, well, God wants to bring me someone better, so I'm going to separate from my wife. God told me, I know I've heard this before, God told me to leave my wife. God told me He doesn't want me to be married. This is, I'm in God's will. Absolutely not. I don't know what God you're, you're talking to, because that's not the God of the Bible. He would never say that. God never would bring you someone better. That's not from God. Oh, I left my husband or I left my wife to get closer to God. That doesn't happen. That's not God's plan. That's never biblical. That is unbiblical. And you try to justify a, a divorce that way, it's not going to work. That is not okay. That is never okay. You see here, verse 12, it says, 
But to the, here, verse 10 and 11, I'm sorry, to the married I say, I command ye not I the Lord a husband is not to depart from her husband, a wife, not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let's just say she does. Let, even if she does, let her remain unmarried or become reconciled to her husband. And the husband is not to divorce his wife. You're not to divorce one another. And just say you do, in the eyes of God, you're still married. <laughs> Let's just say you do separate. Let's say you do divorce. In the eyes of God, you're still married. Because He's instituted now something marriage. It doesn't matter what man said. In the eyes of God, you're still married, so you ought to live a single life now. Because you're not to go out and remarry and date around this and that for whatever reason. Now, if that was an old lifestyle before the Lord, and the Lord has renewed you, you came and you gave your life to the Lord, and, and the past is behind, and God's going to now restore your family and bring to you a helper, then that's something completely different. But you're living in the world, you're living in rebellion. And you believe that this is okay, and then it's not okay. It is not okay not to live this in rebellion. How, if that was part of your past, that's something different. God's restored you. He's brought you into His family now. And it says here, do not divorce. Do not divorce here. But to the rest, I not the Lord says, if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. Now just for example, you're living with somebody, you're married with someone now. And your wife now does not believe. It says, don't divorce her. Just because she doesn't believe. If she's willing to live with you, don't divorce her. Stay with her. You made a commitment. Love is a choice again. You, it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. I got tired of it. I got tired of it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to put myself through this. That's not what love is. It's a commitment. It's a choice now. And then in verse 13, it's going to tell us now that the same thing. It says, In a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. You see, vice versa. If you're living with your spouse and he or she does not believe, it's unbeliever, but is willing to stay and be married and live together, then don't divorce one another. God has a special plan for that home. I want you to know that. And He wants to use you in that home. And He wants to encourage you in that situation. Maybe my, you know, for the wives, maybe the husband doesn't believe. Or maybe now for the husband, the wife doesn't believe. I know of a particular, uh, just a man from, even from my work, who he's a believer and his wife doesn't, is a believer. But she's willing to stay and live with him. And he's saying, you know, I just can't handle this. What's the point? <laughs> What's the point of living with someone that doesn't believe the same thing I do? We don't get along in these ways. I know the Lord. I, I, she doesn't want nothing to do with the Lord, right? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to fast and pray. <laughs> you're supposed to ask God to work in that marriage, in that household. Because 14 and 15 tell us something important. It says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving here, wife is sanctified by the husband. Isn't this amazing here? The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. That means that if now you have an unbelieving husband in a home, you know what the wife is doing? Sanctified means holiness. And God cares about your family so much that He brings holiness into your home because of you, spouse, even though your now husband or wife doesn't believe. In this particular case, he's saying, you know what, if, if the husband doesn't believe because the wife does and because he's obedient, she's bringing, she's ushering in now the light into the house. She's bringing in the light into the house, bringing it in through the Word of God, through prayer. And think about how impactful this can be in the home. Sanctification means that you're set apart. That means that God has a special blessing still for your home, where the Holy Spirit is still working in the lives of that home because of the believing spouse. And because of your patience, because of your endurance in the Lord, the Lord is going to bless your house. 
And you know what he's going to do? He's going to shape the values. He's going to shape the morals. He's going to shape the principles of that house with your Christian influence. Therefore, if you are a husband or a wife where your spouse does not believe, say, Lord, let me bring the Christian influence into the house because your word says that I am called to sanctify this home, to cleanse it, to set it apart from you. And the husband or that wife that doesn't believe the Lord is working in their hearts even when you don't see nothing happening on your behalf because the Holy Spirit is present. Isn't that amazing? And it says here in verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Let's read it again. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would not be unclean, but now they are holy. Even the children living in that household. Guess what the, the spouse, the mother or father gets to do? Gets to bring in that Christian principles. Teach them to fear God. This house is going to fear God. You know, you get to be the light. You get to now bring in that, that, that culture that we fear the Lord here. But if the unbel- it says here, otherwise your children would not be, cl- uh, uh, be unclean, but now they are holy. It says verse 15, But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage. So now let's say if you're with an, now married with an unbeliever, and that, here it says the unbeliever departs. And the unbeliever departs, it says, you know what, you're no longer under that bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. At the bottom line, what's the bottom line? God's called me to peace. If he's an unbeliever and he lives, that's all on his business. God called me to, to peace. I'm no longer under that bound, bondage, but God called me to peace. God called me to peace. In verse 16, as we end today here, it says, For how do you know? This is amazing for us today. How do you know? Whether you're married or single or whatever, how do you know that your influence cannot be used to bring someone else to the Lord? How do you know that because you're being loyal, devoted, and disciplined to God, how do you not know that your influence cannot affect the people around you? And in this specific text, the unbelieving spouse. And it says, for how do you know, O wife? How would you even know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? You don't know that. Don't give up. Don't, don't, don't get discouraged. You don't know that. You're, God is working in your husband or your wife's life. Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? You see, God is working even when you can't see anything taking place. Be encouraged because God honors your obedience even in that situation. Don't get discouraged because with your faith and with your patience, as you look to God in your circumstance, God is able to do a mighty work. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, what does it say? Likewise, wives, likewise. Be submissive to your own husband's respect. Obey. Show that discipline, that devotion. That even if some do not obey, even some that are unbelieving, that they, it says here, that they do not obey the word, that they without a word, without having to preach, without having to say anything, just by your character, just by your nature, just by your grace as a spouse, by your fear for God, they may be won by the conduct of your wife. Man, that's a beautiful thing. You know why? Because obedience, 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 and obedience can make the skeptical spouse a believing one. Obedience can make the skeptical spouse a believing one. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. And we ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord, today. And we ask, Lord, for situations and circumstances, Lord, in our lives, in our church. And we ask for those people, Lord, 
that maybe represent a marriage, Lord, where one person hasn't fully given themselves over to you.